Today we've come to the difficult place in Ephesians where it talks about wives and husbands. And we're going to go full on into this today and really try and grasp what this is about. Uh, we're going to um, look at the passage and we are going to uh, look at what the problems are. So I'm not going to do a recap on Ephesians this week because there's a lot to get through today and I want to focus on that. So what I'd like to do, first of all, to look at what the problems are in this passage. What are the, the difficulties? And then a suggested solution and then some practical applications, including for single people. So what are the problems with this passage? Well, let's just look at uh, one uh, the core of these verses, and I'm not using my tra uh, translation here, which is in front of you. I'm using the ESV, which is a, a common translation that you'll see out there. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And that's the ESV, but you know, most, most translations will be similar to that. There are some problems. So I've got several here. The first one I have is that um, Christ is perfect, but husbands are not. Do, do anybody disagree with that? No. Okay. All right. Um, so... Um, you might say, well, I've got no problem submitting to Christ. Um, in fact, sometimes uh, husbands can be unfair, oppressive, or even abusive. So how can you make this parallel? What's going on here in this parallel? The logic doesn't seem to work. Uh, the second problem that we have is that women are not in any way inferior. So what is the reason? But we are inferior to Christ. Obviously, he's God and we are not. So how does this logic work in comparison? Um, sometimes women make better decisions than men. Often they're more responsible. Um, so how does this make sense? If we say that the reason is the social context of this passage, um, we have a problem because Paul doesn't root his logic in the social context. He roots it on the eternal relationship of Christ and the church. So those are some problems. Um, and uh, I've got some other ones as well. What about single people? Uh, is this passage in any way relevant to single women or men at all? What are we to say? And the, the fourth problem I have is um, in, in some of the verses we read, one flesh with Christ. It seems to be suggesting that we, the church, become one flesh or something like that with Christ. It's kind of a bit weird. What is that talking about? So some people who don't believe the Bible is God's word say that Paul began well his ministry. Um, he was countercultural in Galatians, saying there's neither male nor female. And uh, he began well, but he later weakened and gave in to social pressure and so on. This is what happened. But if once you start down that road, 
of of saying, well, Paul was weakening here. You basically lose everything. You lose the New Testament because anything you don't like, you challenge and you say, well, that's really not the gospel. That was kind of social. And, uh, you know, you, you, you end up with, in, in fact, not what God is saying. You end up with what I think I want God to say. And you read the Bible through your own desires of what you want the Bible to say. And so we have to take this seriously. We're a church that is based on hearing God's word in the Bible. We have to take this seriously. So we need to try and to address these problems. What do you think? What do you think about these problems here? Am I imagining them or are they real? We need to read the rest of the passage. Good, good idea. Yeah. Uh, any other comments to make? So we, we've looked at the problem, and now we're going to look at the rest of the passage in depth. And number two is the biggest section here. And then finally, some practical applications. So my solution is going to be that Paul is, is going to turn upside down all the social ideas of the time. He's got a new understanding of reality that changes everything radically. But before we get to that, the first thing is that the word uh, submit is maybe not the best translation here. The Greek word hupotasso can be used to mean control and coercion, but not when it's used in this way. So um, just to be slightly technical, in, in language, verbs have got an active and a passive voice. That means I can say, um, uh, I, I, I eat the food or I am eaten as food. You know, that's the passive when something is done to you. And there's, the Greek has got a middle voice as well, which has got a slightly different meaning. And this, this is not in the active tense here. There's a mood here. It's not in that way, and the way it's being used, this particular way, um, that it's uh, it's being used in a way that it is always totally voluntary. It's a free choice to follow the lead of someone else. So it's not a, like um, a coercive type of thing. And so a better but rather awkward translation would be, for the word, voluntarily choose to lift the other person up and put yourself in a position of allowing their leadership. Voluntarily choose to lift the other person up, and that idea of lifting up is there, and to put yourself in a, put yourself voluntarily in a position of allowing their leadership. And so this same word is used, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when Jesus submits to the Father. And this is obviously not like some kind of subordination that's going on there. It's a choice to, at a particular time to act in a particular way. And so in, the, uh, in the, your handout, you'll see that I've put my kind of a little alternative translation there uh, after submit. I think I've put lift up, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. So that's there in the translation. Uh, now for, for three curious things. The first thing is the way the whole passage is structured. <clears throat> if we look at 5.15 through to 6.7, and I showed you this slide a couple of weeks ago, but um, we, we have a command, look carefully how then how you walk. And this is the command 
stands over the, the whole section 515 through to 67. Look carefully how you walk. And then there are three ways in which we do this. We do this not as unwise, but as wise. And then there's a few words explaining what that means. We do it making the best use of the time. And we do it being filled with the Spirit. So that is how we obey that command. But when we look at be filled with the Spirit, it's followed by four verbs that have got this ing form, the technical word, they're participles. They have an ing form and they are they, they match up quite neatly in the Greek and they are the four ways in which we, we walk in the Spirit in this way. The first is speaking to one another in psalms and spirit, hymns and spiritual songs. Then we have singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. We have giving thanks always and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and the Father. And then we have submitting to one another and under that, we actually have four, uh, sorry, six examples of this. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, and masters, which we're going to be looking at in future weeks. And what I want you to notice here is that this submitting is under being filled with the Spirit. So this is curious. This, is, this should, should get our, something should light up now. What's going on here that connects being filled with the Spirit and this relationship between husband and wife? Uh, the second thing is that the, the passage is worded rather curiously that never directly gives the wife a command to submit. Let's look at our handout now, and we're going to go through this passage. So I'm going to switch now to looking at the, the whole passage, and we're going to go through and look. So the first bit there is what I've just covered uh, with the, um, the lead-up to this, and then um, we're going to go into this. <clears throat> so let's actually start with verse 21 there. Uh, submitting to or literally lifting up, one another out of allegiance to Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. So it doesn't say wives submit to your husbands. It says submitting to one another, wives to your husbands. So obviously it means wives to your husbands, but that's just a way that sometimes we don't need to repeat a verb in English because it's already there. So for example, if I said to you, I like honey and peanut butter. You're not saying, well, he never said he liked peanut butter. Well, I didn't. I could have said, I like honey and I like peanut butter. But it's implied that when I say I like honey and peanut butter, in, in language, you can, you can imply the word. And it means just, the meaning is there just as clearly, but it's implied. And this is what's going on here. Um, what church submits, uh, lifts, lifts up Christ. Wives should also with their husbands. But then the second time he uses it, he does exactly the same thing. So verse 24, it says, as the church submits, lifts up Christ, so also should wives to their husbands in everything. So once again, it does it. And again, it, it means just the same, but it's almost like, because it's twice, it's almost like Paul has gone out of his way to 
to make an indirection there. Both places he's put where I've submitting, he's done it through a picture of something else. And he's phrased the language to make it come through a picture and not come directly. So this is curious. And it's there. And you can't get rid of it. And it's, it's, it's quite striking if you're, if, you're, if you're reading through literally what it's saying that it's doing this. So that is the, um, that's there. So let me just read the passage now. Um, Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is savior of the body. But as the church submits to uh, lifts up Christ, so also should wives to the husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water in the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I speak with reference to Christ and the church. However, you, each one of you, should so love his own wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. So this is the passage, and you'll see then that it's um, it's worded in this particular way. So passage is about being filled with the Spirit. Wives are only told indirectly to submit. And these are curious things. But Paul, um, there's, there's one more thing that I want to introduce there. Um, Um, there's one more thing. Um, and that is the new Adam and the new Eve and this concept that's introduced here. So both submits are indirect, as I said, and the second one comes through this new image of the new Adam and the new Eve. Now, the quotes that I read, it quoted um, man shall leave his... his, his uh, uh, mother and father and cleave to his wife. Those are from Genesis. Those are interesting. Those are linked back to Genesis. But <clears throat> what the rest of the passage is pointing forward to glory and is pointing to this relationship with Christ and the church. Let's look again at this, what it says here. Let's look again. <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> um, it says, Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then there's a quote from Genesis about a man and woman becoming one flesh when they, when they become married. Hold fast his wife, the two become one flesh. And then it says, this mystery is profound. And I speak with reference to Christ 
and the church. What is going on here? This mystery is profound. And I would say this is the, the, uh, the core of where we're going to go with my explanation today of what is happening. And just to put it in one sentence, Paul is looking forward and not backwards for his image of marriage. Um, instead of basing it in, in Genesis with Adam and Eve, He's saying, no, actually, that might have happened then, but actually, we're looking forward to this mysterious but real thing that's going to happen in the future. And that's going to be the core. And just to summarize what I'm going to say with this is that men and women have the opportunity to pull the future into the present prophetically. The marriage is like a prophetic enactment of what is going to happen in glory. And um, in fact, both partners have to submit to the other, but in different ways. Um, so for both partners, it's about submitting your own interests to the needs of the other. It's about putting their needs above your needs. For both partners, it is that. And uh, this is the new life of Christ that's flowing out of us. It's because we have the life of Christ in us that we are able to submit in this way because the old nature can't do that. It's only the spirit within us. So this is why this is part of being filled with the spirit because it's only if we have the spirit that we can live a life lifting other people up and being unselfish being selfless in this way. And so it's the, it's the spirit that is empowering this. Now, I'm, I must acknowledge that I got a lot of insights from a book called Marriage and the New Creation, and I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from this, and uh, we're going to see how we can use this, these ideas. <clears throat> the potential for being hurt, abused, disrespected, betrayed, as well as the potential for being accepted, affirmed, loved, healed, and set free, is greatest within interdependent relationships with the deepest and most intimate human vulnerabilities and needs surface. So I'm sure you'll agree with this. This isn't just true with, with marriage. It's true with if the, the, the times that you could be most hurt are when you're most vulnerable. And if you, if you become part of a relationship that is very, very deep and, and intimate and open then you're opening up the potential for being hurt in that. And then he says, it's precisely here where wife and husband might know the temptation to dominate, betray, destroy, or to create love and give itself to the other. And so this is the, 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 the foundation of where we're going. Let's continue with Miltek. The text addresses this core of human experience with a message of hope. The giving and receiving of agape love has the power not just to heal, but to take the husband and wife from brokenness to wholeness. It holds out the promise to recreate both spouses into the image of the new Adam and new Eve. The recreating occurs in the depth of human experience where the power to live, the challenge of giving and receiving 
agapic love must find its home. So what's happening here is that the kind of life Paul is is asking them to live is one which is is a reflection of the future. It's, it's, It's heaven. It's part of heaven now. Paul starts this passage saying the church is a community and in fact we all we are doing this for one another and he just takes husband and wife as one example of this but actually the church is the new community and we are we have an opportunity then to walk out this kind of new relationship um, so here, finally, we have the reason for this relationship in marriage, and I'm going to summarize it in this way. When you act in this way, you pull the future, heaven, glory, the new creation into the present. You pull the power of the age to come into the present, the reality of the age to come, and you pull in the power of the Spirit as you walk this out prophetically. You pull in the presence of Jesus because you're copying this behavior. And this is true in other relationships as well. But he, in this particular relationship, it's easier to demonstrate because there's this explicit connection with Christ and the church. And so <clears throat> what he's saying is that uh, as a couple... You've got two choices. You can look back at Adam and Eve and you can say, you know, they fought. Sin came and sin brought a curse and the curse was in the marriage and they would fight one another and all the problems that they had and have been marriages since. And you can base a relationship in the past or you can base it in the future. And you can say, look, this is what marriage is. That marriage was just a picture. This is reality. Reality of deep, intimate relationship is Christ and the church. And this is going to be our pan. This is going to be our paradigm. And we've got a way that we can model glory with husband and wife in this way. And so when you act in this way, you are modeling glory. You're pulling the presence of Jesus into this relationship. It's not that men are are better than women or that men are more like Christ than women are. That's totally beside the point. The fact is, you know, it could be arbitrary. He could have decided it was going to be the other way around. Uh, But this is the way he's decided it's to be. And so it's a way that we can mirror uh, the future and bring this back into the present. In the age to come, there will be no marrying. We know that. Jesus tells us that when he was asked by one of the Pharisees. Uh, so we're now given this opportunity. So uh, I, I, I'm convinced that this is why Paul frames it this way. I'm convinced that this is why he, he doesn't directly tell the wife to submit, but says, as the, 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 uh, we as a church submit to Christ, so to your husband in that kind of drawing it through the picture because he is trying to emphasize the incredible story that's the big picture that we are just mirroring in our relationship. So uh, I'd like to talk now is my my final point um, about some practical implications, including single people. Um, so actually, before I before I, I um, I talk about single people. Let's just look at how we might put this into practice, um, practically. Um, so 
I would say, to summarize this, both partners in a marriage submit their self-interest and put the other first. That is symmetrical. Both are submitting their self-interest to the other. Part of the husband's role in loving his wife is listen to her and making her views part of any decision-making process. That's part of the way he loves her, by, by listening to her and bringing her views into the decision-making process. This is the opposite to dominating. Uh, this there might occasionally be times when a consensus cannot be reached between them, and he must take responsibility of showing leadership. But um, that could be extremely rare if he is if he's exercising his love in the right way. Respecting the husband's leadership does not in any way require that a wife submit to abuse, either verbal or physical. Um, um, nor should this, should they submit to anything that is against God's laws, because God's laws are above this. There's a hierarchy of laws, and loving God and putting God first and obeying His law comes above these things, and so submitting to God's laws must be above those things. So that would be the way I would work this out practically, um, but <clears throat> but. As I said, it's not just, oh, I've got to do this because I'm a husband or a wife. But no, I get to do this. I get to, I get to demonstrate Christ in the church. I get to walk this out in my life. Wow, what a privilege. And then the power comes in when you see it that way and the spirit comes in. So what about single people? I have some thoughts to suggest to you uh, as, I'm, as, I, as I close here. Um, Paul gives example relationships in this passage and gives six in this passage. And we're going to be looking at the others in future weeks. And those uh, include husbands, wives, parents, children, servants, and masters. But we can actually extend these principles to any relationship. We can extend them. Every friendship carries commitment and requires self-sacrifice. You can't have a friendship that's a real friendship that doesn't have some of the aspects that we've been talking about today. Um, sometimes we have to give ourselves like Christ did in any relationship. And sometimes we have to put up with stuff out of love. And so, uh, and I and I think I would say that um, this is uh, a big lack that we have, particularly in our culture, which is a very individualistic one. Uh, I have a friend uh, who uh, um, originates from the Middle East. He's gone back now. Um, but he, he said to me, um, where I come from, if I'm your friend, I would give your life, my life for you. That's how friendship is, where I come from. I'm just so, so... Um, he said, I'm just so surprised and disappointed by the kind of relationships I see today. I try and make friends, and friends are so shallow here. Friends like there's no depth. Where I'm from, you're a friend like you're a friend forever. You're, you're, you would do anything for that person. And, and if you look back through history, history is full of friendships like that. And, and, but, but in our culture today, these 
we tend to be more individualistic and we tend to have less deep friendships. And so this is more of a challenge. You can think of Jonathan and David in the Bible, but that's just one. There are myriad relationships like that through church history and and secular history where people have got um uh friendships there's one story of a of a a christian who was um uh sentenced to death by caesar for um for his christianity and his friend said um at the trial his friend said could i die in his place and the judge said why he says well i'm his friend and the the um they they said well no you can't. But then Caesar heard about this and he, he, he went and talked to them both. He said, oh, wow, I'm going to actually pardon you because like for a friend like that, that's what real friendship is. And I just, I, I, I'm going to pardon you. And so, um, and, but that's just what, like there are many stories that we have, not just in Christianity, but, but through history of deep friendships that people had, which could work out these principles because actually they should be the way the church operates. We lift one another up. We put one another's interests first. Um, so uh, I would say that, uh, that, um, here, often people drop a friendship as soon as it becomes uncomfortable. No, I'm not getting anything out of this. Why should I keep it up? Now, this doesn't mean to say we shouldn't have healthy boundaries. It's possible to have healthy boundaries and yet still lift other people up. Submitting to one another doesn't mean allowing them to trample over you, but lifting up their best best interests above your own. Uh, if you're struggling... In any kind of relationship right now, uh, not a marriage relationship, but a friendship or, or you know, a relationship with, with, with a relative, then you can pray this prayer in this, pa- in this passage just as much as a husband and wife can to say, um, Holy Spirit, please flow through me in this relationship that I may, I may image Christ and the church in the way I'm relating to these people. And we can we can live this out, um, but so I would say that that's a part of how we can live this out. But the best news of all, I think, is, and this is why the idea I want to end on is, let's not miss the the glorious, incredible way this ends. We are the bride, like we get this husband forever, one who's committed so much to us. His love is the best we could ever hope for, and we are securing it for eternity. Wow, what a perfect husband, what an incredible example of love. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, then don't wait. He's offering this to you. You can receive this love and become part of this marriage in heaven. If you submit to him, he will bring you in to this relationship. So I want to end right now by just contemplating this truth, that if we are followers of Jesus, then his love for us is like a rock. It is is set. It's there for eternity. He's given his life for us, and he will continue to do everything uh, for us I love us as much as he loves himself, as much as he loves his own flesh, if you like, although you know, he's, he's, he's more than that. But just as um, he, he, he loves us as much as he loves himself. 
And I just want us to bathe in that as we end, because that truth in this passage is what empowers submission in any community, what empowers us to live out this beautiful relationship with other people is actually our relationship with Christ. And if you remember one thing from this message, I want you to remember that. That if you really grasp who you are in Christ and your security in him and the passion with which he loves you, that will flow out into every relationship you have. Empower it enrich it and enable you to image Christ's love for the church in that relationship or the church's reception of Christ's love. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this extraordinary truth that you love us so passionately. You love us for eternity. You've been through hell for us You've given your life for us, and you won't cease to do everything for us. Lord, fill us with that. May we just know it so deeply in ourselves that it flows out. Holy Spirit, write this truth in our hearts, we pray. May none of us leave today without this truth deeply embedded in us. We cry to you, Lord, speak this in us, that we might be able to demonstrate to a lost world what love looks like. We ask it in the name and through the power of Jesus. Amen.